0: if you're in that deep dark pit you will crawl out of it one day you'll have slips and falls and you'll fall back in but you'll always find a way to crawl back out of it if you just go to bed maybe when you wake up in the morning you'll feel at least one percent better than you do right now
1: We are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there's so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook, Twitter, at Suicide Noted. And as always, I want to thank all of our suicide attempt survivors who have joined me on this podcast talk so openly and so courageously. We have got more and more listeners, which feels good because these stories matter and there are a whole lot of people who need to tell them and need to hear them. So if you can, let folks know about this podcast, especially people who may need to hear it. And if you listen on Apple, I know I say this a lot, but it's really hard to get people's attention these days. So if you rate and review and subscribe, it really does help. It lets people find this podcast more easily. In the show notes, I will include information about how you can make a financial contribution if you'd like to, but however you want to support. And listening is more than enough. Again, thanks for all of that. Today, I am talking with Frank. Frank lives in New York, and they are a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Frank. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being open to joining. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. You know, it's not easy to find people. Really? No, it's really a lot of work just to get people because, you know, who wants to talk about this stuff?
0: Hmm. I think it's important to talk about, though.
1: For sure. Hmm. Doesn't mean most people will do it. So thank you. Frank, let me ask you this question. You are in a minority of human beings who, and I'm not talking about people who have attempted to end their lives. I'm talking about people who have attempted to end their lives and are willing to talk about it. So I'm wondering, how'd you come to be okay talking about it?
0: Well, I've always had an odd fascination with talking about things that are taboo. And I think like the more that we talk about things that are taboo, the easier it gets. Also for myself, just talking about it makes it easier for me to tell other people about it and other people in my life so that I can discuss with them. Cause I also know a lot of people who have mental health issues and, suicidal themselves but we never really talk about it and
1: how that affects us so any idea why we don't talk about it
0: i think a lot of the time there's a lot of shame revolved around it around it and i don't think people want to hurt other people by talking about it and like trigger them or make them upset and a lot of times i think like when people talk about their suicide attempts they get pity back which they don't really want like When I talk about these types of things, I don't want pity. I just want people to listen and to understand what I went through.
1: Hmm. Possible for people who haven't gone through that to understand what you've gone through? Or are you hoping at least that they try?
0: I'm hoping at least they try. Yeah. I I think it's possible for them to uh, sympathize and understand how bad it can get that that might be you, you feel like your only option. But I don't think people who have never actually been there can truly understand how much in pain you have to be for that to be your option.
1: Sure. So do you have one attempt?
0: I have more than I can count.
1: So you have more than you can count. So yeah, we'll leave it at those a lot. Yeah. I'll leave it up to you. What what, what, kind of what you want to share and we'll go, we'll go from there.
0: Well, a lot of them I don't remember, but there's a few I remember. One of them is the only time I went to the hospital. I was in a really bad spot. I was living in my old college town and there was no one around. I was supposed to have some friends who were staying with me, but they all had to go home for various reasons. And so I was just like completely alone. I came to this weird decision that I had two options and it was to kill myself or go to the hospital. I trekked up into the woods and... When I finally got up there, I decided, I was like, I'm going to try the hospital. I've never tried the hospital, so mm. I'll try it. Yeah. I had taken a bunch of meds and alcohol before I called, but yeah, it was good to go <laughs> to the hospital. That was a good choice I made.
1: When you were in the woods, you had taken some some pills and, and drank in the hopes, at least for a little while, that it was going to do the job.
0: Yeah. But eventually, I, I came to the conclusion it wasn't going to work. So, mm-hmm.
1: When was that? How long ago?
0: Summer of 2018.
1: How was the hospital stay?
0: It was actually really good. Um I lived in the boonies, so I didn't expect to get a good place, but I got lucky and um one of the nurses at the hospital had connections to a really good hospital that treated me really well. So, I was mm. pretty lucky. Helpful. Yeah, very helpful.
1: Life-saving? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> How so?
0: it just let me know that there were other options and that there were other ways to get help. And that kind of gave me a boost to actually seek out like treatment and figure out what was wrong with me so that I could get healthier and get better.
1: Hmm. What was wrong with you?
0: I have so many diagnoses.
1: Which diagnoses do you think are the most accurate or the ones that feel right?
0: Hmm. Well, About six months ago, I was diagnosed with autism and unofficially diagnosed with DID. Figuring that out gave a lot of context to why I was feeling so bad all the time and why it seemed like no one else around me was struggling. What is DID? It stands for dissociative identity disorder. It was previously known as multiple personality disorder
1: comfortable sharing a little about that? Because that that doesn't come up much. I think it's rather rare.
0: Well, basically, it means that in this body, there's more than one person, more than one personality. And so mm-hmm. the way that that crops up is I have a lot of memory problems, which is why I don't remember a lot of the attempts and a lot of other issues surrounding around that. I had one attempt where I don't remember it, but I remember waking up in the bathtub and having to like tend to myself and carry on just being surprised. Yeah, it affects a lot of things.
1: Yeah, I would imagine it affects everything. I I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, it was really confusing, I think. Actually getting a diagnosis has changed my life a lot for the better because now I have the tools to deal with what's going on in here and like actually get better. Because before that I was just running around trying to survive and not knowing why all these weird things were happening and not being able to like talk to people. Like that's not something you can bring up to someone like, Hey, this morning I woke up in the bathtub and I think I tried to kill myself and I don't know why it doesn't go over well in conversation. So like,
1: right. Actually
0: figuring out what that was made it a lot easier to continue.
1: When you try to end your life as one identity, but then you wake up as different identity. Right, like what does that look like? And and also today, like is it treated with medication or is it just something you are have a handle on, but you still what's the word? Um, change? Is that the word? Or
0: yeah, uh, people call it switching. Basically what would happen is another identity would take control of the body and mm-hmm. do what they thought was best. And usually it's someone who only has like really bad memories, really traumatic memories, and so They think that our whole life is just all awful. And the only way they can see out of it is by ending it. And so some people take medication. Um, Usually you would treat like the depression, anxiety that comes along with that. But one of the main ways is just increasing communication between all these different parts. And so if I can be able to tell this person who's only has bad memories. Hey, I have good memories. These are good things that have happened to us. These are good things which can happen in the future. Then they might feel a little bit less scared and a little bit less helpless because I can help them.
1: That's fascinating. (laughs) It's just fascinating. And I don't use that word to me like just from the outside. It's like, wow.
0: I mean, I think it's interesting too. It's a very interesting coping mechanism that my brain decided to develop.
1: Is that what that is though? It's a coping mechanism.
0: Yeah. So basically, as a child, according to one theory, you don't have one set personality, you have all these different parts. And around the age eight, all your parts are supposed to come together and form one full identity. Mm. But if you have continued trauma as a child, these personalities are not able to form together. And so they stay separate for the rest of your life. But a lot of the times, these different parts don't even know that there are other parts. And so they're doing things in the world and experiencing things in the world and not knowing that there are also other things happening that they don't know about
1: wow are there a lot of people in your life or anyone in your life who knows what has happened including the attempts
0: not a lot i'll tell a few people like here and there little bits but no one really knows the full story i don't know something i like to to keep inside just cuz i recently got diagnosed, I'm still working through like how I want to go about telling people about it.
1: Yeah, of course. Are you able to work? Are you able to form friendships?
0: Yeah. It's been getting a lot better. I I can work. I have a job. Friendships is a little hard. It's getting a little bit easier now that I can when you don't know what's going on, it's kind of hard to explain to people why you know, I might disappear for two days and not respond. It's not because I don't like you. It's just because I'm not here or, you know, how to set certain boundaries that I didn't know I needed to set before. So it's been getting slowly easier to make friends, though it's still pretty hard.
1: And so you said that you had that one attempt in 2018, you had mentioned mm-hmm. in the woods, you went to the hospital, and then earlier you said two minutes to count. And most of those, because of the DID, you don't remember.
0: yeah. And a lot of it happened in my childhood. I think like my first attempt was around 15. It just kept happening sporadically throughout my time in high school until I turned like 18. Um,
1: How old are you now? I'm 22. You made it 22 years. That's a a win.
0: I'm very surprised, actually.
1: (laughs) Did you before you got diagnosed or even now? I mean, do you do what a lot of people do, including me, which is? sometimes drink or drug to cope, to feel okay?
0: Yeah, I've been trying to get sober for a little bit now. I used to take Adderall, but I found that that really worsened my symptoms. And so right now only what I use is just marijuana and and nicotine. And one day I'll be sober, but I found that drugs severely worsen my symptoms and Mm -hmm. also I have this weird moral dilemma with consent, and if I take drugs, that means everybody else in me is also, and it feels kind of rude, (laughs) you know?
1: Wow. How many are there? Do you know?
0: Apparently, there's over 50. I haven't met them all, though. Just someone told
1: me. It's fascinating. (sighs) I recall perhaps one other person I've spoken to for this podcast that this came up. Well, either it's not common and it's probably not or those people that do have it just don't talk about it much or certainly not with people like me.
0: I feel like a lot of people who have DID they don't talk about it a lot either because they don't know but also because one of the symptoms is that you're very closed off and you don't want to share your trauma because I don't know how to explain it but yeah, just a lot of people with PTSD too. It's something that you just don't share about.
1: Yeah, and just to be clear, though, you don't—that doesn't happen to people who have super great, chill, happy childhoods. Yeah, no. <laughs> and just there's no cases. Presumably, it's it is a result of really hard things.
0: Yeah, it's a result of uh, extreme continued trauma during your childhood that your personalities can't all coalesce and make one mm-hmm. one main personality.
1: Yeah. Do you ideate? Do you think about it?
0: Yeah, it's an on and off thing. It's gotten better recently, but it used to be like an everyday thing where I'd have to like have a talk with myself like, are we going to do it today? No, okay, we're not going to do it today, but it's gotten better a lot recently.
1: What are some uh, myths around anything around this stuff that you'd like people to better understand or just simply call bullshit on?
0: That it's for attention. I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of the times with self-harm, um, people will say that like it's for attention, but I really don't think that's it. I think if people are hurting themselves for attention, then they deserve that attention. But I think a lot of the time it's this in- intense emotional pain that your brain can't handle and it needs some way to turn that emotional pain into physical pain. And the only way it knows how is to hurt itself the same with suicide, that it's for attention or that you're not strong enough. It's, it's not. You're just in so much emotional pain and you either don't know how to talk about it, you have no one to talk about it, or you have no way to solve it, that you feel like your only option is to leave this world.
1: Yeah, I think about people who shared that as well, about it's not for attention. And I'm always thinking, anybody who says that, I wonder, well are you giving them any attention? Exactly. We, do, we do need attention. We're not, yeah. we're, we're not, we're human beings. We, we need attention. Huh? You go figure. <laughs> so what are your days like? I see, I see uh, you, you're, you've got some cool creative flair because uh, again, it's a podcast. People can't see what I see, but some cool little, almost, who's that artist that I'm reminded of a little bit there.
0: Jackson Pollock.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little pilot going on in your walls. Yeah. Did you do that?
0: No, it's um my old baby room. My parents did it.
1: Oh, we're having this conversation in your baby room?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: You live with your folks? Yeah, I do. Mm. Do they know about all this? <laughs> no. <laughs> they don't know about your condition? No. <laughs> what do they know about you?
0: They know that I'm probably depressed and that I tried to kill myself once.
1: Mhm. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Do they just not want to know what's really going on, you think?
0: Yeah, I also just worry about their response. Oftentimes when I've tried to tell my parents that there's something bigger going on that I need help with, I've just been told no there isn't. There's something physically wrong with you. And every time I try to say, no there's something mentally wrong with you, they say, no. No there isn't. So, I just Haven't told them because I don't want to deal with like gaslighting or being told that what I experience isn't real because I know that what I experience is very real.
1: Sure. Do you have any siblings?
0: I have two brothers.
1: Are they similar to you in any way?
0: Not really. I don't really talk to my brothers much. One of them lives here at home, but I've never really discussed mental health with them or anything at all.
1: Yeah. Who do you discuss it with?
0: Usually I talk to my friends or my therapist.
1: You got a therapist? Yeah. They're okay?
0: Oh, my therapist is great. She's amazing. I'm so happy to have her.
1: That's good. That's sometimes hard to find. Sometimes it it never happens, right? Yeah. So 22, dealing with stuff. Hmm. Likelihood that you will attempt again?
0: I think since I've been suicidal for a very long time, there's always a chance that it'll happen. Yeah, there there's always a chance that it's possible. A lot of times it's just a, a spur of the moment thing. Something really bad will happen. It'll just be spur of the moment because I just can't handle all of the emotions that are happening and all the pain that I'm in that I just I just want out right now. Um yeah. huh. it's very few times where I've actually like sat down and like planned it and wrote a, a list or a a letter and been like, okay, this is going to happen on this date. I've luckily gotten better a lot recently and the suicidal thoughts have, have started to dwindle. So that's really exciting.
1: For sure. Do you remember the sort of first time, or I don't know if it's like the actual moment, but around the, around that time when you first started thinking of suicide as a possibility?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was I think like a freshman in high school around then. I was having a lot of troubles with my family because I was just starting to figure out that I was uh trans, and my family isn't so supportive of that, or at least they were not at the time um and so I was having a lot of fights with my mom about just wanting to be able to express myself and to get help for what i needed help with it was really hard to be fighting with my mom all the time and being denied what i knew about myself and what i needed to express about myself so
1: mm. yeah in a, in a, in a way and i and i'll say this i'll be careful the way i say it you check a lot of boxes of risk right like when you think about trans community higher risk yep you know, i know nothing about the did community it's a safe bet higher risk yeah. there might be a few other things in your life higher risk and, you know i'm thinking man, Frank made it to 22 and good. And it sounds like it was like a 50 or 50, 50 thing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like we could just as easily not be talking to you right now.
0: Yeah. Every birthday I have, I have an existential crisis because I honestly thought I didn't, I wouldn't make it to 18. And so each new year I'm like, oh, oh, I lived past my due date. That's pretty cool, I guess.
1: Does that affect your sort of Mid range or long term planning, saving money and no judgments because I suck at all that shit too, but <laughs> saving money or like a career. Are you more like, nah, I'm just not going to be here. So, you know, I'll just deal with it today.
0: Yeah. It is really hard sometimes to plan for the future when you don't think that there is going to be a future. I kind of made up this deal with myself that like, I won't kill myself until I'm 30 and if at 30 my life is still shit then I'll kill myself and it's like a weird way to think but it oddly eases my anxiety that I'm just like okay well I have at least eight years to figure out my shit and if I don't figure it out by then then I can decide then what I want to do
1: do you think about it specific like do you think about it in detail how you would do it
0: I mean I have one really like if I'm not coming back yeah I have one plan
1: that I know I could use. It's like in your back pocket there. Just pull it out if you need to. Yeah. Wait a few years. You'd said earlier, most recreational drug use doesn't help. What other than, let's say, therapy, that's presumably helpful. What else, if anything, helps?
0: My pet rats really help.
1: Oh, you know, I want to know more about that.
0: <laughs> They're great. I have two little ladies um, named Wendy and Bean. Not and- mice. No rats.
1: Uh, you don't hear of rat domesticate domestication that often. So how did you find yourself owning two rats?
0: I just known for a long time that I wanted rats. And four years ago or like three years ago, um, our local SPCA had a pair of rats and I was like, okay, nice. I'm going to go get them. So
1: are they in that room right now?
0: Yeah, they're in my, the other room. my rat are room. They're in the
1: other room. I would really love to see those rats, man. <laughs> well, anything else? so therapy rats or not any rats your rats my rats yes
0: friends help oftentimes just distracting myself recently i've been trying to develop a plan for the future because i've found that like at least having something in the future to look forward to really helps me in the moment not feel so scared that Like maybe right now isn't so bad, but I could have this in the future and this is what I'm I'm planning for and this will be good and this will be healthy. And so if I can just stick it out right now, then in a few years I'll be okay.
1: Get a share more. I'm really curious. What's in that plan? I have two
0: kind of plans. One of them is to get a house in the woods and have my own little farm. Another one is to open a, a community center here on the capital region for queer people and mentally ill people to hang out and make art and do activism the albany area has a lot of good community centers we have in our own voices which is for um, queer people we have the social justice center which is for like um, human rights yeah we have a lot of good stuff so i just wanted to maybe add my little you know drop into that ocean
1: yeah I have a question that I've only recently started asking. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm really like obsessed with asking people this. Do you think that people who attempt to end their lives are by definition mentally ill? Now, I know we're not doctors. I'm not. I don't think you are. We don't claim to be, but we're just two people talking about it.
0: Yeah. I think it's very interesting because 90% of the time it's people who are in that dark pit and that's the only way to escape. But I also think that there's other reasons people might, maybe they have a terminal illness and they don't want to have their bodies decay and have that happen, so they take their own life because of that or maybe someone's family is suffering and they need the life insurance money to help their family out. And so I think there are Options in which someone could just be very logically oriented and understanding that this is an option which will help themselves yeah. or help the people around them. But sure. I think most of the time, yeah, they're mentally ill.
1: Mm-hmm. So you had said earlier that you were talking to your parents. At some point, you have this stuff going on and they didn't want to hear it or they didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. This is another question I've been asking lately. I think I'm getting weirder and weirder the longer I do this. That's great. <laughs> The question is, how long would anybody need to be in your, when I say your brain or your body, I mean, how long would someone need to be you for them to realize, holy shit, I had no idea. Okay. How long would that take?
0: Maybe like an hour.
1: Could you imagine if we were able to do that and how different the world would be? Just would, like, uh, you could, You would just get things in a completely profoundly different way.
0: That would be amazing if people could just trade choose with me for 24 hours. I think they would immediately be like, I want mine my brain back, my body back. This
1: is too you much. Think so? Yeah. What would I be like? Holy shit, if I became you.
0: The memory problems have been the worst recently. Um, I can do something and then five minutes later forget completely what I did.
1: Real-term memory.
0: Yeah, it's completely shot. And it's weird in that way that I can do something and immediately forget that I did it. But also I'm constantly remembering all the bad things that happened to me at the same time. And so oftentimes I will be completely dissociated from the world, not feeling like I exist, not remembering what I did today or what's going to happen tomorrow, but still remembering every bad thing that happened to me. And it's, it can be awful.
1: Mm. And you have found ways to somehow deal in those moments.
0: I'm a pretty logical person. And so just like working through memories and detailing what happened and what was wrong and what was right and what happened, just getting all those things in order can help a lot to ease mm. my pain and allow myself to say, okay, these bad things did happen and it's okay that it feels bad they happened.
1: Sensitive questions. So I'm gonna tread lightly. The parents, your parents, the ones who don't really want to hear some stuff or a lot of stuff, are they part of the problem in terms of the trauma that was on you caused on you?
0: Being undiagnosed autistic caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of emotional neglect. A lot of my memories from my child is is just being left or alone in my mm-hmm. childhood room.
1: Um, This room right here?
0: Yeah. And in in our playroom, just being Mm -hmm. left alone. Yeah. A lot of my trauma has to do with relational trauma. And because I was autistic, not being able to connect with my mother or, or my father. And so I was basically completely alone for a lot of my childhood. And my mother would hit me a lot because I did things wrong. And I didn't know why I did things wrong. Especially when I got to school, I couldn't connect with people. I didn't know how to talk to people or make friends. And I was struggling for a long time, just not knowing why I was struggling. And that was pretty traumatic for me.
1: I bet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You had said in the beginning, and I'm paraphrasing, but I believe it was, hey, I want to I talk about this stuff. We don't talk much about it. Is there something you would want to tell people who are listening? I know that you don't know them, you don't know anything about them, but you know, they're tuning in for some reason, not this is a pretty self-selected audience, right? Hmm. Uh, There's probably only a few reasons why they would listen. So yeah, but I always ask, like, is there anything that you haven't shared that you would want them to know or understand or whatever?
0: I would want them to know that it does get better with time. A lot of people say that. And Mm -hmm. when you're really depressed, you can't believe it, but Mm -hmm. I do believe that time heals all wounds. And if you're in that deep, dark pit, you will crawl out of it one day. You'll have slips and falls and you'll fall back in, but you'll always find a way to crawl back out of it. If you just go to bed, maybe when you wake up in the morning, you'll feel at least 1% better than you do right now.
1: A little less shitty. Yeah. A little less. What about to the people who aren't really doing? You know, they're more like my sister's in trouble, my son's attempting suicide, whoever, someone in their life. Because I know from all the conversations and my own like lived experience, you know, people say and do some really stupid shit, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure you've dealt with that for the better part of twenty two years. Yeah. Uh, anything for them? Nudge them in a certain direction, you know?
0: Yeah, I think. Don't pity the person, Mm
1: -hmm. just
0: listen to what they need to talk about and offer to help them in any way that they need help. They might never ask for help, but knowing that there's someone that they can call when they need to is really helpful.
1: Mm. Man, why is that seemingly so difficult for most people to do? I really wonder.
0: I think there's so much stigma around it. And people who have never been there, they can't understand why someone would would do something like that or, mm-hmm. or be suicidal. But you don't need to understand that. You don't need to completely empathize with someone to offer help and to offer space just to to listen to mm-hmm. what they're going
1: through. Any big plans this summer?
0: I don't know. I don't have a lot of plans. I'm excited for Pride Month, though. There's a lot of... Uh, pride events going on. So like every weekend this month, I'm going to be busy. I'm helping organize a a pride at the end of the month, which I'm excited for.
1: I've actually had several conversations on this podcast with people in your area. We're not too far mm-hmm. away. Yeah. So maybe they can join.
0: That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: What else would you like to share? I really appreciate you joining me. I'm glad we connected. I appreciate your honesty and courage. Um, what else you got?
0: I have a question for you.
1: Wow. (laughs) This is very rare. I love it. Go ahead. By the way, I usually deflect. I'm very good at it. (laughs) So you know what's coming.
0: I wonder if listening to everybody's suicide stories Mm. ever puts a strain on you, or if sometimes you'll be emailing someone and they don't respond, do you get really worried?
1: That's a great question. The first part of your question, mostly it's a great thing for me. I can't tell you exactly why Hmm. it's not as if I want people to be attempting suicide, much like a veterinarian probably doesn't want dogs to get run over, but it happens. So I want to be able to provide that. And I can't tell you why I'm also not particularly good at sort of causal relations for myself, like cause effect. So it might be a strain and I don't realize it, but I Mm -hmm. know most of the time when I'm talking with people on zoom or I'm editing the show or whatever else, it feels like it's important. And I haven't done many things in my life that I felt good about or thought was important. I don't look at it as dark at all. I have a different definition of dark. I think dark is people being in pain and not being able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's light. But a lot of people that I know think of it as like, man, that's that really dark subject that you talk about on the podcast. Uh, long answer. The other part is, so some people disappear. They don't email back. I don't usually think it's because they've, You know, most people who have attempted, have attempted once or twice, sometimes more like yourself, but it's not as if four times a day, they're going to about to kill themselves, you know? Yeah. So if they disappear, their life got in the way, I would say the majority of the people that reach out ultimately don't come on the podcast because whatever Mm -hmm. shit shit changes, they get busy. We can't find a time that works. They get scared. I will tell you one person I talked to and he's one of the early, one of the first interviews I did last summer, I think he's dead.
0: Mm.
1: And that was the first time I remember there being a question of like a moral question for me. He said, this is a, this is a doozy for one of your first interviews too. He said, I'm planning to end my life. Wow. And I said, when? He said, in the fall, it's my favorite time of year, sunset, it's my favorite time of day. I said, Why? He said, because I don't want to be here anymore. And I know that. Now, so for me, you didn't ask this. I'm just giving you like a long answer. (laughs) I thought, what's my role? Like, what should I say? What do I, I I made a decision there. And I guess I'd made it before that. My role is to create a space for people to talk about this. It's not for me to fix them. (laughs) It's not for me to save them. It's not going to work anyway. And if I do that, I'll, they won't open up. Mm-hmm. the moment I do that, people will shut up. So it's always been like, no. Nope. And I've gotten some shit for it, but it's like, no, create the space, let them share. And, and that's it. So most of the time it's like, all right, no big deal. Good talk. When I think about him though, because we ended up being friends on Facebook. And then I saw that his act- activity stopped in November and mm-hmm. he had been like a daily poster and he might've just, I don't know. Doesn't mean he's dead, but he told me he was going to end his life several times. And then he disappeared off of social media. And I think, uh, huh, your question is a real one, right? Like, yeah, there are going to be people that end their lives. Yeah. In my mind. And, and again, not everyone would agree. I, presumably. Maybe I just made their life a tiny bit lighter for the time that we had together. Yeah. And that's about all I can do. Yeah, I'm gonna come up and save your life, Frank. Like, what the hell am I gonna do? I mean, I would, lo- I would if I could. I just, I'm not. I can't. Yeah. And you're not asking me.
0: No. I think, uh, I think that's a good point. That, that anyone who comes on this doesn't want you to save them. They just want you to hold space and to be able to tell their stories.
1: Yeah, with the understanding that once we're done, things are could happen, and that's the way it is. So. Mm-hmm. All right, Frank. Awesome talk. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks again. Have a good day. You too. All bye right. Bye. Take care. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to Frank up in New York State. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at com or on Facebook or Twitter at suicide noted. And as always, please help us out. Let folks know about this podcast. If you listen on Apple, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. Thanks for that. That is all for episode number 61. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.